presence on that occasion told Jesus about the Galileans whom Pilate had killed while they were offering sacrifices. He replied, Do you think the suffering of these Galileans proves that they were more sinful than the other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just as they did. What about those 18 people who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you think that they were more guilty of wrongdoing than everyone else who lives in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just as they did. Jesus told this parable. A man owned a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. He said to his gardener, look, I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree for the past three years, and I've never found any. Cut it down. Why should it continue depleting the soil's nutrients? The gardener responded, Lord, give it one more year, and I will dig around it and give it fertilizer. Maybe it'll produce fruit next year. If not, then you can cut it down. May this be to us seeds of renewal. Hello and welcome to the Lectio Cascadia podcast. My name is Brandon Rhodes and I'm glad you're here. Thank you as always for the theme music. This is the Lenten theme music. Uh, thank you to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for it. All right, let's get into this. Uh, <laughs> isn't this just a cheery reading? Toppling towers, slaughtered worshippers, barren trees. Great, great things. Great to talk about. Um, heavy, heavy thing to explore here. So a number of years ago, uh, one tribe of Christians were meeting in, I think it was Minneapolis, uh, and they were sorting out the place of non-celibate queer Christians among them. And this bolt of lightning struck the steeple of the church building in which they were gathered. Now, one well-known pastor in the area declared it to be a sign of the divine's disapproval of that group's decision to not expel queer Christians. Uh, which surely, just by uh, coincidence, that pastor also disapproved of that decision. Hmm. Uh, a few years before that, a hurricane wiped out the homes of thousands and killed a lot of people, and many pastors blamed gay folk and their hetero allies for the hurricane. They said it was God's judgment, God's wrath. A few years before that, some Saudis flew hijacked airplanes into the World Trade Center in New York City, killing almost 3,000 people. One well-known pastor said it was God's judgment on feminists, protectors of legal abortion access, and gay folk. Hmm. Hmm. It sure is interesting how arbitrary God is and how God communicates disapproval, isn't it? <laughs> it sure is interesting how that's especially about gay people that are on Team Jesus. It sure is interesting that the pastors who, can, who are able to discern big events and the meaning behind them never seem to discern God's judgment against their own convictions. Wow, isn't that interesting? Man, hmm, hmm. <laughs> it sure is interesting that these pastors who seem to know what God's about didn't interpret the hurricanes as being consequences of capitalism puking so much carbon dioxide onto the atmosphere, which seems to actually be a direct 
line to what's what what happens. Hmm. It sure is interesting that God doesn't do anything conspicuous, apparently, to show us love, according to these pastors. It's only easy to discern God's disapproval of, well, not us. It's always them. Hmm. It sure is interesting that it turns out God will happily kill thousands for reasons totally unrelated to what they did wrong. God's arbitrary and God's glorious violence. Hmm. It sure is interesting that the things God is most interested in killing thousands over relate to too much health care for women, too much fairness for gay folk, too much fairness for women. Hmm, interesting. And it sure is interesting that these pastors don't happen to see God's judgments in the history books. They don't, they don't point out any judgment or wrath or hurricanes or lightning bolts from God about the systematic genocide of indigenous Americans or the systematic enslavement and continued economic violence and desolation of black Americans. They don't see God's wrath or judgment in the towards what they see in the newspapers of the state tearing children, infants, from their parents at the United States' southern border and the subsequent systematic rape of many of those children by guards. Interesting that they don't see God's wrath for any of that. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Now... I ask you, I'm, I'm like sick just even reading all that out <laughs> um, in a sarcastic tone. Um, I ask you, what, what vision of the divine does this paint? What does the word God even evoke and mean to these people? What do they think the Holy One is actually about? What kind of world do they think we live in? To them, God is vindictive, disproportionate in doling out judgment, obsessive about sex, but not murder or the toxification of the land or the extinction of species daily or rape or the creating of orphans and widows. To them, epic weather or tragedy always has within it the possibility of God trying to tell us something. No matter how unrelated the tragedy is to the thing that God seems to be pissed off about. To this mindset, when the land speaks, it speaks a word of damnation and death, not abundance in life and gift. To them, the silence of God on issues of genocide and state violence towards the vulnerable suggests... Well, God being on our side. Damn that God to hell. When God is thought to be all-controlling, this paradoxically means we can ascribe anything we want to God. We can control God. Putting God behind everything puts the divine on our leash to be wielded whenever the hell we want. An all-controlling God or that we can speculate behind anything is easy to put under our control. A free God 
a god of gifts, frees us from this. Sadly, all of this looking for God behind every bad thing is nothing new. Shit happens and we in in this God-drenched universe and we're trying to figure out what the, how to hold those two together. Humans have been trying to make meaning out of cataclysmic and tragic tragedy for a long time. Everything for so long was just caught up in spiritual warfare or God's everlasting dickishness rather than God's fierce mothering graciousness. One of the oldest stories in the sacred library we call the Hebrew Bible was a play about a man named Job who lost everything. And he argues with his friends who try to make sense of why he suffered. He must have sinned. His family must have sinned. And on it goes. It's like one of the oldest stories. <laughs> uh, and in their effort to find meaning, they invent motive. Instead of creating meaning, they divine reasons. See, there's a difference between meaning and a reason. The need for meaning collapses into believing things happen for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. No, it doesn't. <laughs> uh, this, this week's lectionary reading is Jesus bumping into the same God-causing tragedy in some weird way that we're supposed to respect or worship God for bullshit that Job did from his friends. And it didn't help Job, by the way. <laughs> and here it is in Christ's story. People coming up to the Christ saying, the empire killed these people while worshiping. They must have effed up in some way. A tower fell on those people. They must have been real bastards. And Jesus doesn't even get into questions of God's ordaining events or meticulous control or freedom or anything like that. He's, he's bored by the problem of evil being God's problem. He doesn't seem to think that that's the kind of world we live in or the kind of character of the divinity that permeates that world. How does Jesus respond? Well, in typical fashion. It's an opportunity to drive home bigger points he has about how people should be, particularly his tribe, living in covenants with this ultimate reality. See, in his day, he saw the writing on the wall uh, <laughs> about their fixation on violence and where that would lead. And he was just astonished that others didn't see it too. His neighbors and countrymen felt a deep current of wanting to rise militarily against the forces, these imperial forces that were oppressing them. Their will to violence would be the end of them to Christ. It was an unfaithfulness to the Holy One that would only bring ruin. This is not how you are a light to the world, a city set on a hill. In fact, almost without exception, every time Jesus speaks of judgment, death, hell, cataclysm, being uprooted and cast out, He's talking about the looming catastrophe hovering over his tribe. If you keep on the way of empire and violence, you will be destroyed. That is the fate of empire, and that is the fate of the violent. These tragedies that uh, his neighbors are bringing to him are a solemn opportunity to consider how the entire soul of your community seems to be bent on chasing after a similar fate.
Jesus is saying, why are you spending all this time distancing yourself from this tragedy by speculating and judging and describing fault? Don't you know that your own violence will lead you headlong toward the same fate? Don't you get it? <laughs> and it goes deeper. It goes deeper than this. Uh, this goes to how, to how the heart of how the divine seems to operate in the world. Not as a retributive, retributive penal parent whose justice is arbitrary and disproportionate and seemingly always about gay people for some reason. That's not how the ancients understood divine justice. Mm -mm. In fact, at the start of one of his most popular letters, one of the Jesus movement's earliest activists, this guy Paul, argued that the wrath of God is, and he didn't even really argue it, he was just spelling it out. Uh, the wrath of God and all that kind of language is really just the divine leaving us to the consequences of our unholy fixations, our idolatries, our adorations, which dehumanize. It's not the Holy One pummeling cities with hurricanes or tornadoes. It's not the divine slinging lightning bolts at steeples. No, the wrath of God is in some ways far more sobering than that. It's the Holy One allowing us to continue down dead ends, leaving us to the consequences of our decisions. Natural parenting, you might say. In one place it says, those who live by the sword died by the sword. And in another, the wages of sin is death. And here, this week, the fig tree that does not bear fruit will be cut down. Yet there is another word after each of these. Put away your sword, says Christ. The gift of the divine is the new way to be human together in Jesus the Anointed, writes Paul. Give the fig tree more fertilizer and another year, says the gardener. Wrath doesn't get the last word unless we want it to. The last word is always gift. May your week ahead be filled with curiosity and wonder, gratitude and laughter, courage and presence. And may the peace of Christ be with you. Thank you.